You could stand at half cut and rep better than these guys. Oh, smart down, and it's called for another foul. Check, Taco. Come on. Taco's, Taco. Taco's having some fun here. We are back with another episode of From the Rafters. Sam and I are here recording on Friday, September 10th. Uh, we got a great show planned for you guys. We have Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report coming on uh, later in the episode to talk. But before that, uh, Hall of Fame inductees is happening. So I wanted to touch base about that. Three Celtics, Sam. Three Celtics 2021. Three Celtics legends. I got to write for uh, Channel 6 today. Got to write <laughs> about that. Uh, they kind of took what I used and actually put it on the news, which was nice. But... Um, yeah, Paul Pierce going in, well-deserved, better than people think. Um, Bill Russell going in as a coach first, black coach in the NBA, uh, player coach for the Celtics, coach Seattle, and Legend. coach Sacramento. Obviously one of the greats. You, I always love to make the argument he's the greatest of all time. 11 titles, <laughs> can't argue with that. Best player on the best team 11 times. Um, and then, of course, the great Mike Gorman going in. I'm probably... Th- I mean, Paul Pierce is my favorite player, so I'm happy for that, too. But Mike Gorman, I'm very happy for him. Love Mike Gorman. Mike Gorman is my dream interview. I'd love to have him on the show sometime. If we ever spin that, uh, that'll be uh, <laughs> Sam salivates on Cam. Um, <laughs> but seriously, he's one of the greats. He's been at it for 40 years. Uh, you know, play-by-play. Play, so many. He's seen it all bird to the dark years in the 90s to – Pierce and then the big three and then uh, Isaiah then Kyrie now in uh, the Tatum era. He's seen all of it. Great calls through all of it. Uh, Well-deserved him. Excited to see him probably uh, tune in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Pierce, Gorman, Bill Russell, there's there's not really a better Celtics class that they could have picked uh, for this. Like you said, Mike Gorman, that would probably be the dream interview. Uh, good from good friend Adam Taylor had the chance. I am eternally I jealous for Very that. Very lucky. Hopefully one day Lucky's we'll the get wrong that word. chance. <laughs> he earned it, but deserved. No, no, jealous. no. Lucky in the sense that I am jealous. It was a very yeah. well-deserved interview, of course. Uh, other names in the 2021 Hall of Fame class: Chris Weber, Chris Bosh, Ben Wallace, Tony Kukoc. Um, ben Wallace having some very interesting things to say about Kevin Durant. We don't have to spend too no, long no, on no, it. No, no, no. What I, did he say? I, I didn't want to bring hear it up. This. He basically I said live reaction that, to this. Yeah, yeah, he basically said that Kevin Durant would not have been as good in his era like he wouldn't have been the level of player that he is which i think oh, is absolutely like that's not fair that's horrendous kevin Durant's a seven foot one of the best scorers of all time you're telling me he wouldn't have been i also like, don't think he's like soft i i, at I least agree like the way he plays like if you want to say he's soft for joining the warriors or whatever fine like say it i mean you got to respect what he did he kept LeBron from winning for a couple years so he's an honorable <laughs> man uh but seriously like his game is crazy. He he would probably be just as good, if not better, because he'd be able to drill shots from the mid range. I mean, watching him play the Celtics in the playoffs is unreal. Dude was not missing. He was like a cheat code. Mm-hmm. He's elite. He's one of the best of all time. And I hate like I think I've said this on here before. I don't know if I've said it recently. I cannot stand the people who are like, oh, basketball is not the same. Basketball is bad now. Stop fucking watching. It's not you're bad. Just gonna complain. It's different. Yeah, it's different. That's fine. But if you're going to complain that, oh, we're not punching each other in the face, then 
grow up. Like, stop. Like, come on. Yeah, you don't want people oh, to get hurt. I think, exactly. I think this year is going to be a really great year. Should the referees keep up their end of the deal and uh, monitor the good old jumping into defenders <laughs> and I'm glad that's gone. That, the that heads was... going back. I mean, Harden's going to be out of a job. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. That was ridiculous. That, that was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I had a mind part there. I was about to start talking about the Juancho trade, but we we caught that last time. I, I did want to touch on the starting lineup. I think we we covered it very briefly in our last episode uh, when we were talking about player expectations. But I do want to know your thoughts on who will be the full time starters to start the season for the Celtics. Do you think it's going to be? Uh, I mean, obviously Brad Stevens last season went with rotating guys, started double bigs, and he changed it up by the end of the season. Ime Udoka's got the reins now. What are you thinking for the starting lineup in Boston? Well, it's definitely going to be Marcus. He has highlighted Marcus in interviews over and over again. He's mentioned him as he wants the ball in his hands. You know, he is instilling confidence in him as the starting point guard, which I've said it before I'm excited for. I think think in that role he can really flourish. Might have said some things that needed to be overturned about that. Um. But seriously, he he has a good opportunity to really improve as a player this year and to earn a lot of people's respect. I, he's a really great passer. He deserves the recognition for that, and hopefully he can earn it. Um, this is the the two guard spot. I think we talked about this last time is really tough because you've got Richardson, who's proven it's coming off a down year, according to people. I don't know. Did not watch all that much of uh, the Mavericks. I don't don't watch a whole lot of other teams. He, he but... had a tough year shooting the ball. He, he had a tough okay. year shooting the ball. But he's someone that's proven he's was really great in Miami. Obviously, when he played in Philly, he was there. He was a pain in the ass. He could play defense. He's a solid player. And he's got more help around him. Obviously, Luka's fantastic, but besides that, there wasn't a lot in terms of real like superstars. You know, you got Tatum mm-hmm. Brown here, Marcus Smart, who's good too. Um, he could be a good fit. And then Neesmith is the dark horse to start. He had a really good summer league. Yeah, he he's looking a lot better. He's creating shots. He looks confident. He had a good finish to the season. He has energy. You really can't go wrong with that spot. I think it's going to be Richardson to start, but you might see Neesmith steal a spot, earn it, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then obviously Brown Tatum. Yeah. And I feel like I know you disagree because we've kind of touched on it, but I think it's going to be Horford and it's going to be William's spot to steal from him. I'm not saying it's going to be concrete him. And I do think they're going to be spot starts for Williams, like situational Horford is going to rest. But I think at least opening night, I, I would imagine Horford gets the the nod. See, I think that it's going to be very up in the air depending on matchup. I know you mentioned it last time. Like if they yep. play the Sixers, Horford's going to get the start. But yep. I think other than – I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. Other than times where Horford is specifically needed, I think Robert Williams will have the starting center position. Like like when they play the – like Sixers, obviously. I'm trying to think about other examples. Of, like if they play the, the Trailblazers and he has to play Nurkic, I think yeah, they might go with Horford. You know, guys like that. I think Jokic would still be a Rob assignment just because of you think so? Athleticism. I don't know. I, I think that's up in the air. It's debatable, but I think they will. I don't think they want to give Rob the bigger guys. And Jokic is bigger, but he's more post movie, not just, you know, Steven using Adams. brute strength. Steven Adams might be a uh, Al Horford assignment. Vucevic. Guys like that. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. Vucevic can get on the outside too. And I he think Rob's quicker at this last point. Year. Yeah. 
Vooch is good. He, he's a beast on the offensive end. Um, other recent Celtics news, they've signed a couple guys to training camp deals. The Can't green cornet is back. This. The green cornet is back, Sam. Come on, Good that's news. No, no, he, he, was, he was a solid contributor last year on a team that kind of mm-hmm. needed it. Um, won them a game in OKC. Moses Brown played. Former Celtic Moses Brown played uh, out of his mind. And then uh, the guy from Utah who apparently got playoff minutes. So that's actually kind of intriguing to me. Juwan Morgan. Yeah, I mean, if he was playing in the playoffs for that team, the number one team in the conference, eh, he did. He did not get playoff minutes. <laughs> he did not. He got three minutes a game in two games. Okay, so. well, he didn't. I don't know who was tweeting <laughs> he, that, but uh, yeah, no, I've I've been uh, fed fake news. <laughs> yeah, no, he he struggled to earn regular rotation minutes. He he's the ideal NBA body, if that makes sense. Six seven, listed as a power forward. Uh, sure. You know, good size, good strength. He hasn't shown much shooting the ball. He, he hasn't taken many shots in general, uh, as it is. His total throughout his NBA career is 7 of 21 from 3 total in two seasons. So he hasn't gotten much of a chance. Um, I went over some two-way guys I liked last time. Those stand if you want to know them. Admiral Schofield, Mason Jones, etc. Go check out it a couple episodes ago. But, um, yeah, Juwan Morgan's fine. Luke Cornett is fine. Um, will either of them make the team? Probably not. Uh, I think the Celtics just probably want to keep their options open at this point. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm curious to see how training camp rolls out. Um, I, I need basketball back. I, I I need any semblance of basketball yeah. back at this point. So training camp uh, should be fun from that perspective. Uh, yeah, in other news, Celtics got their preseason schedule. Uh, it is the I know they play the Magic. I know they play the Heat. Do you have the schedule in front of you, Sam, or do you know October what it is? October fourth against the I'm Raptors. Uh, those other two teams, and I believe there's a game against the Knicks in there. I'm excited, of course. I mean, we were just saying we need basketball back. But seriously, there's important storylines to this preseason. You've got a lot of guys on this team at or around the same level. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about it last time, but it's better than last year because instead of last year, the level being very low level where everyone (laughs) is, it's now a, a medium to high level where your role players are all pretty solid and concrete. So you're going to have Horford and Williams. I mean, you might not see a whole lot of Horford in the preseason because of his age, but uh, Neesmith, Richardson, that kind of debate, you can see how it's going to go in the preseason. You're going to find out where where Pritchard's going to find his minutes. I mean, these are all mm-hmm. questions that are legitimate. I don't know. It's hard to figure out where Pritchard's going to get his minutes. Is Romeo Langford going to show us anything? Um you know, who is that fifth star going to be? I kind of already mentioned it, but even just to see who who gets the nod the first game, how does Marcus Smart look running the point? I mean, there are so many different things. How does Jalen's Brown how does Jalen Brown look? I mean, he just had wrist surgery. It's not like his Very legs true. or anything, but does he look confident? Does he look like he improved something? Uh how does Hernan Gomez fit? I mean, there, there's so many questions. There's a lot of new stuff on this team. How is Udoka going to, uh, you know, run the team? What's the offense going to look like? Is it going to be better? I mean, there, there are so many things to be excited about. We've got like probably three weeks. It's the 10th today. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about a week, almost a month, a little yeah. under a month. Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, October 4th is the magic. October 9th is the Raptors. October 13th is the magic again. Uh, and October oh. 15th is the Heat. They played the Knicks on opening night, which is probably, uh, probably what you want. Yeah. Knicks opening I know night it's, is it's October 18th. 20th. 20th? 20th? Lose I your mind. Op- no, I thought the home opener was the 20th. They do, 
Uh, no, opener of the season is the 20th. Preseason ends on the 15th. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the preseason. I like all of those uh, questions you mentioned. Not big on Romeo Langford, but we've we've been over that. Well, no, uh, it's fair. It's before. fair not to be, man. Like, it's his third year. He's playing in the summer league, and he's not, like, dominating. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually I just, third, uh... third-year guys aren't playing in the summer league anymore. Jalen Brown played his second season. I mean, we we discussed this, but, like, they had similar paths, and then Brown goes in the summer league, lights it up for the first game, and they say, all right, you're good. You don't need to do this. Mm-hmm. I will say Romeo's dealt with more injuries than Brown. Oh, yeah. I'll give him credit there. I just I don't see the pathway for him getting minutes on this team. I, I think Neesmith could be a starter at the end of the season. I'm really high on Aaron Neesmith. I think he hustles, which you can't teach. I think he's a good shooter, which you can't teach. Or I guess you can teach, but it, it's definitely difficult. Um, shout out Ben Simmons. It's just Romeo Langford hasn't shown me anything that would get him minutes in this rotation, right? You got plenty of playmaking with Marcus Smart. You got plenty of playmaking with Pritchard Schroeder. And Romeo's a fine playmaker, but he's not at the level of any of those three guys, I would argue. He can't shoot the ball, right? His jump shot it looks absolutely horrific, and you can't convince me otherwise. Maybe he improves to like a 32% shooter, but even at that point, it's like, eh. Like, you, you got other guys who are better shooters. He's fine at, like, driving to the lane with the ball in his hand, but how many times is he actually going to get the ball in his hand? There's just – I just don't see a realistic pathway for him earning rotational minutes this season. I, I think he's more of a trade chip at this point because I think he can be successful in certain successful in certain systems, but I don't think the Celtic system with this roster is one of them. Like, like the argument you were making for Carson Edwards, like, oh, he'd get minutes somewhere else. Romeo would get minutes somewhere else, just not here. Yeah, I mean, his road to getting minutes is going to be shooting corner threes. That's what he did in the playoffs, and it's not his strength, but that's what the offseason's for. He looked okay doing it in the summer league. It wasn't fantastic or anything. He did make the big one to win the game against Atlanta. He made one in the corner. <laughs> in in the clutch, made one in the corner. I don't know. I, I'm... I'm Starting to become out on him, but I think he played well in the playoffs, which is encouraging. But it's just like, how how do you like downgrade from that performance in the summer league? Like, how are you not making an impact? I just don't. They have other guys who can do what he does better. I, yeah. That's just as simple as it is. I think. I just think point. maybe you need wing depth because, in in all honesty, like who who is your backup like forward? Like small forward, you got Aaron Neesmith, Josh Richardson, Jalen Brown, Watcher Hernan Gomez. Jalen Brown's not backup, but uh, the oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, Richardson and Neesmith are more guards to me. Like Neesmith, I think is a forward. I think he's a small forward. I, I think at that point, I think shooting guard and small forward are interchangeable at this point. I think they're pretty close. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think they're wings. I think they're all wings. I think Neesmith and Richardson can both play small forward. I think Lancho can drop down from power forward and give you backup forward minutes. Romeo's shorter than Neesmith, isn't he? They're, they're the same height at the very least. <laughs> Romeo's not that tall, right? Romeo Langford six, height. 6'7". No, he's like 6'5". He's 6'4". <laughs> Langford's only 6'4"? No, yeah, Langford is 6'4", and Neesmith is 6'5". I'm pretty oh, sure, geez. yeah. Neesmith, 
height. Yeah, Neesmith is 6'5". Yeah, Romeo's only like an inch taller than me. Yeah, he has no future. That, <laughs> brutal realizations here. Uh, and Josh Richardson is, I think, 6'5 as well. 6'6". But yeah, so Romeo is undersized for small forward. He can't shoot for a shooting guard. He could potentially like transform his game into this weird ball handling combo guard, but he has no pathway to do that on the Celtics. Yeah. No, uh, he... He's going to earn it if he's out there. It's a preseason storyline for you, Jack. What's he going to do? Nothing. Nothing. I am I am almost completely out of Romeo Langford. I'm not hoping for failure. I hope he comes out and proves me wrong. But at this point in time, it's not looking great for me for Romeo. But, um, yeah, I think now's a good time to cut over to our interview with Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report. We talk a lot about sure. his new book, Built to Lose, uh, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. I already ordered it. I'm super excited to read it. Uh, make sure to go check it out. Amazon, all anywhere you buy your books, Barnes & Noble, all those good, all that good stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I'll send it over to our interview with him right now. We are here with Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report, author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Uh, how you doing today, Jake? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good, good. It's, uh, I am it's tired. Nice. <laughs> Very tired. <laughs> Sam just got out of work. I, I worked but, uh, a good old four to one shift, so here we are. Brutal. <laughs> four to one? It's like 4 a.m. to 1 p.m.? Yeah. Wow. Good for you, man. That That is... Uh... <laughs> It's what, not by choice. What do you do? I work in news, so uh, I'm I'm an assignment editor. So I just I look for the news pretty much, but get there at four, leave it, leave it when one o'clock rolls around. It's a great shift. When the alarm goes off, that's, too much. <laughs> that's tough. That's <laughs> tough. I, I did actually want to talk about your book, Built to Lose, before we even got started here, because the whole concept is really interesting to me, actually. I, I just ordered it. Like, I, I didn't know you were an author until I, like, I did my research, and I, I ordered the book as, as soon as I saw what it was about. So could you could you talk about it a little bit? It looks super interesting. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll use this opportunity to make the quick plug that anyone listening could buy Please it. do. <laughs> and anywhere, uh, anywhere books are sold, uh, Amazon, if you want to get it quickly, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, my publisher, Triumph Books. I think we still have a promo code up right now. Fisher30, my last name, F-I-S-C-H-E-R, gives you 30% off. Um, but yeah, I, I did over 300 interviews for the book, talking to players, agents, coaches, executives, you know, you name it, people around the league, to kind of bring the behind-the-scenes, like, real story of what happened from roughly 2013 to 2016 when... You know, it wasn't just Sam Hinkie in Philadelphia. Danny Ainge in Boston trades KG and Paul Pierce to Brooklyn the same night that Hinkie traded Drew Holiday to New Orleans, right, to start that mm-hmm. rebuild in Boston. And one of Ainge's disciples, uh, Brian McDonough, gets hired in Phoenix to do the same exact thing. And Daryl Morey, you know, people don't really realize all the time, came from Danny Ainge's front office. And Hinkie came from Daryl Morey, and Rob Hennigan gets hired from the Orlando Mag or Body Orlando Magic the year before and trades to White and 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 you know all these teams were tanking for this 2014 draft class. Cleveland's in the mix there. You know, it, it was this uh, inflection point of when um, you know all these analytical minded executives started coming to power and really looking at team building as this science experiment, as this cap sheet to manage and how the NBA behind the scenes now has kind of turned into a marketplace and a finite marketplace where only 30 teams have the same type of financial restrictions. And, um, you know, there's the, there's the markets at play 
place, what, what city you live in, whatever, and you know, that's appealing and, and it plays a factor on the talent and the players. And at the end of the day, you're all competing for one championship, right? And it's become clear that the best way to do so is with multiple all-stars. And look back to the Celtics in the 50s and the 60s, to the Jordan Bulls, to the Lakers, to the Big Three. Like, it's not a new phenomenon. Super teams have always existed. They're just now, you know, players have more agency now. And I think that's also a big reason why tanking is so important and why it became important in those years I talked about and we just explore in the book is that if you're Philly, if you're Orlando, if you're Milwaukee, if you're OKC, even if you're Houston, like if you're not L.A., if you're not New York, if you're not Miami, you know, the most direct way to get all-stars is when is, to, is through the draft and hope that someone is, um, you know, becomes that or they at least attract other all-stars in free agency. And the easiest way to sign an all-star free agency is to have one already on your roster. So I think that era was just so important to A, you know, it created the lottery reform that we now have with four lotteries uh, slots and a 14% chance in the top three picks instead of the worst team having that big 25% number. But also I think that period and, and it influenced player agency and, and the players trying to do what they could while executives doing the same thing. And it's kind of set the tone for, you know, the league being in this, you know, big game hunting just tinkering section that, you know, we now find ourselves in, in the state of NBA history. No, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, take it for 2014. The Sixers got Embiid, but the Celtics got Marcus Smart. So who who really won the draft there? Let's let's be honest. Well, the Timberwolves um, did, of course, with Wiggins yeah. and then Parker. I mean, Celtics made out. They had two of the top six. There you go. Yeah, the Celtics, the Celtics <laughs> rebuilt, and, and and that's also why I wanted to do the book and and really explain it in the behind the in, in anecdotal storytelling. Like there's there's de- there's new details in every. I mean, I talked to over 300 people, right? There's new details, new scenes, conversations that these guys actually had behind the scenes that you're gonna find every day, and you know I wanted to do that to show the human element of what it's like to be on a team that is supposed to lose to be Marcus Smart as a rookie coming in as a potential franchise savior to be Rajon Rondo, um, like basically realizing he's only there to get traded and wanted to force his way out of there. But also you have Evan Turner, you know, coming in to the Celtics team in the 14, 15 season and Isaiah Thomas coming in, like looking for their real shot and their first opportunity to really cement themselves as a true contributor to the postseason because that's how players get paid in this league so i wanted to pivot from boston to philly to orlando to sacramento who's been mired in you know outside of the playoffs and in a tanking rebuild type situation for almost a you know two decades now i wanted to show that why certain teams are still stuck in the mud why certain teams like boston get to three conference finals in five years why certain teams like Philly haven't, even though maybe Philly even has the best player of all these tanking teams in Joel Embiid, right? The second runner up in MVP. Mm-hmm. But those Sixers teams have had less success than the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown Celtics have when you really think about it. So I, I wanted the book to really compare and contrast all that stuff through all this, these anecdotal histories and these stories that you're not going to be able to find anywhere else. No, yeah, 100%. Sam knows I'm big stats guy, big, you know, looking at the trends throughout history. So I'm I'm extremely excited to read this book and I appreciate you giving the synopsis. I'm I'm even more excited now than than when Thank we started. You, but yeah, yeah. I, I noticed the Northeastern shirt, but you are a Philly guy. So you, you got a little bit of Boston, a little bit of Philadelphia there. Much like so Max Letterman. 
Philly guy with <laughs> northeastern, northeastern. Exactly. <laughs> with the footsteps. Yeah. But um, since you are from Philadelphia and you have mentioned the Sixers, and I will say I did my research. I found a line in one of your old bios that said "lives and dies with the Philadelphia 76ers. So sure. if 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 that still remains true, I we got to talk about Ben Simmons. It, I just I just got to ask your thoughts. Well, I got to stop you right there. It's definitely not true anymore. I couldn't care less about. <laughs> I think. I think to really do this job like effectively, yeah. I think you, I think you just can't care. I mean, I just don't like. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the outcome of my story, honestly, more than most. And not even that. Like, I tell this story all the time. I went to Philly. I live in New York now, so I've, li- I've hit the big three in the Northeast. I'm from Philly. I went to school in Boston. Yeah. I live in New York. Um, and I, I went down to Philly reporting this book when De- D'Angelo Russell was on the Warriors. They were playing. Um, the Sixers and long story short, like the only opportunity I had to talk to D'Angelo was, was post game. Like I went to their shoot around the night before at Drexel and Kobe had just died and D'Angelo didn't want to talk. So I, I go to the game. He doesn't talk for a game. So I have to, I, I made this whole trip. I spent the night, like I'm there only to talk to D'Angelo Russell. I needed the Warriors to either win or at least D'Angelo to play well. So he'd be in a good enough mood to talk to me after the game. Right. I didn't care. Yeah. I don't give. I really couldn't care less. <laughs> so that's kind of where that that all is now. Mm-hmm. But to your point yeah. about Ben, you know, I, I think what, why this is the number one storyline in the league right now. It's it's just proven time and again that he at this present stage is not the second star to to truly boost Joel Embiid into you know the NBA's title conversation. And like we just said second runner-up or, or runner-up uh, for MVP. Like, clearly the time is now for him. You know, he's 27. He's in his prime. Like, Philly is, you know, right there. Well, they're one step away. They, they have to be looking at themselves as Phoenix did, as Milwaukee did, being that, you know, we're one piece. Not that I think Phoenix made the trade for Chris Paul thinking they were going to make the finals, but they thought that they were going to have a shot at it, right? And I think that's where Philly stands, like Ben Simmons, for all of his strengths, for being a multi-time All-Star, for being the runner-up and defensive player of the year, probably the best perimeter defender in the league, maybe one of the best of all time. Like, he's still in the postseason, not a complimentary piece at this stage offensively for Joel. And that's kind of set the stage here for all these trade talks. And it's a tricky situation um, that we can get into more, but there's one that I, I don't see a clean solution right now either. I think this is a giant staring contest. And the funny part is he's really like trying to force his way out. Like he's not under contract for another four years. Like he, he's yeah. just not going to play basketball if they don't trade him. Like, I don't know. It, do, it doesn't, that kind of thing never makes sense to me. I mean, it makes sense if you don't have a lot of time left. Cause you can say, hmm. I'm going to walk next summer, trade me, get something. But, I mean, he's on an extension. He has no leverage. And plus, his value's down because of the playoffs, despite the All-Star appearances. I mean, I read something on ESPN where they highlighted the pass out of the dunk to Tybal, which has been the real play that everyone goes to. But there, there's a reason why it's a story. Like, he is someone... Much like Kemba Walker would be when he or Isaiah Thomas would be on the Celtics when they were defensively targeted, the the defense for the other team is able to just isolate him and kind of forget about him. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, and I think you know the league overall is trending in direction more shooting right every single year, stretching the floor, shooting more threes. There's new there's new records broken. 
by every team, every, every the league overall on threes attempted every year. Um, just in the postseason, when the when the game slows down, when the offenses get crunched, you need that half court creation ability. Ben Simmons is, you know, so dynamic in transition and the open court with the ball in his hands ahead of steam. You know, he's he's tough to guard. But when when the game really gets confined to a forty five foot by forty five foot box, and you have a seven foot two guy, you know, almost three hundred pounds, commanding a lot of oxygen on the block, on the elbow, what have you. Having someone who's also, you know, a front court body size guy, six foot ten, you know, two hundred twenty five, forty pound, whatever, he, a huge, you know, athlete like that who can't shoot, it creates a lot of spacing issues. It just does. It's cliche, but it is what it is. And um, you know, they've been trying to make it work for so long, and we we're, we've just finally come to a head. I mean, this is a situation that any Sixers fan has closely followed. It knew it was going to come at a certain point. The the Joel or Ben choice. Um, and I think there was even a faction at the time when, you know, some people in the organization would have chosen Simmons. You know, I think there, I think there was, but here where we stand right now, it's just not going to be the case. For sure. And, and I do want to get to Celtics, but the last thing I do want to ask you about the Simmons situation is like Sam said, he's got four years left on his deal or, or three, but I, I'm thinking four. Um, where do you think is the ideal place for the Sixers to trade him in terms of they can get the best package in return? I know Minnesota is interested. We all know Ben wants to go to California, but what, what do you think the most realistic package is that they can get back that would benefit the most for Joel Embiid's sake? Well, that's the tricky thing. Like Minnesota um, has obvious interests in, in getting Ben. They've been long searching for a real power forward there when they were making inquiries for Larry Nance, who obviously just got moved to Portland for a while. Um, you know, I think the difficulty of Minnesota, the difficulty with Sacramento, the difficulty with San Antonio, the difficulty with Toronto, all the teams that we keep hearing, there just isn't a package back that A, makes Philly objectively better and fits better with Joel and moves their title chances up and B, that also keeps a package on the table for them to go get Damian Lillard if and when Damian Lillard were to become available and request a trade, which that hasn't happened yet. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. Everyone I talked to around the league fully expects Dame to come into the season and give it a shot. But there's a chance that what happened with James Harden last year, and I'm not talking about the COVID protocols and the strip club stuff, but I'm talking about him getting there and realizing eight games in, you know what, this is not where I want to be. All those conversations I was having with Kevin and Kyrie in the offseason about getting to Brooklyn, like, yeah, I want to do that. There's, <laughs> there's definitely a belief amongst some people in the league, Daryl Morey, I, I think, included, that Dean could do that too. And 10 games in, whatever it is, sometime before the trade deadline, there's a belief that Dean and Lillard could still request a deal. And in that case, Daryl Morey knows right now if Dame Miller would become available, Ben Simmons would be the best player on the board right away. He just would be. The Celtics, you know, if, if they theoretically had interest, you know, would Jalen Brown even be on the table? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but with Philly, Ben Simmons assuredly is. And I think that's something to keep in mind here, too. They're, the Sixers are operating from their position of strength here, not Ben Simmons' camp. They don't have to trade him. They don't have to do anything. Um, but if they do, they want to know that they're going to get something back 
some package, some return that could still keep them, you know, right at the front of the line to get Daniel Lillard if he were to become available. That's a good. That's probably the biggest player. Mm-hmm. Very good thing. <laughs> the power. I'm I'm sick of it. I've had enough. Jack knows. I always complain about the players swinging around like that. I I, I Rich Paul's a big problem. That, that's the easiest I'm, way I am to a say traditionalist. It. He's a traditional NBA fan. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I do want to shift. Rich Paul, Jack. <laughs> no, no, we're we're gonna skip over that. We're, we're skipping. I, I want to talk Celtics. I want to talk Celtics. Right. It's a Celtics podcast. We've we've waited long enough with the Philly talk, but um. Yeah, Celtics have made a ton of moves this offseason. Obviously, Brad Stevens stepping in as GM, uh, trading Kemba away as soon as he could. The first thing he does, uh, getting Josh Richardson, trading Tristan Thompson, basically just changing up almost the entire team outside of, you know, Tatum, Brown, Smart, and um, Rob Williams, who they both extended. What do you think or what do you make of Brad Stevens' first moves as GM? Do you like it? Do you think, you know, it, it's a very clear indication they're trying to get Beal this offseason? Or do you think he was just trying to put the best team possible around the Jays for the short term? I think a little of both. I don't think necessarily for Bradley Beal, but I think just in terms of optimizing flexibility. I mean, of course, like, of course, the St. Louis Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum connection is going to be in mind. But I, I mean, there's, there's, I'll say there's a general expectation that Bradley Beal is going to re-sign in Washington. Um, I mean, he's just it's a $54 million difference in, in, in taking the full five-year max he can get from the Wizards than going elsewhere. And that's a lot of money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can just request a trade if he wants, else, like, after that, right? And that, that's what Pelicans people were trying to get Anthony Davis to do, though, and it didn't happen. So who's to say? But... Um, I, I think in general, I mean, the Celtics had a couple of things they needed to do this summer. They needed to address the flunk guard situation, and they needed to address the front court. And they did half of that in one fell swoop in moving Kemba for Al. And I do think, I mean, obviously the connections with Al and Brad are real from their time together in the past. And, um, you know, I would be, I don't have it for certain, but, like, pretty sure that those conversations were being discussed in some capacity back at the deadline, too. So, like, I don't think – it wasn't really a surprise that that happened so quickly necessarily on the surface as it, as it was below the surface. Um, but from there, I mean, I, I know that it wasn't, like, a splashy offseason, but I don't know really what they could have done. They were very limited, you know, cap-wise, working up against the tax. Um, and they clearly wanted to add some more guys on the wing. You know, they, they, they were chasing wings – before the draft, I had heard Kyle Anderson link to them and, you know, and Josh Richardson. And obviously, they go and get Josh Richardson. They give him that extension, which was definitely contingent. Like, it was being discussed during the trade. Um, and you go from that to the Dennis Schroeder edition, where you know, he's obviously been pretty maligned publicly for the whole turning down the 480. Um, but, like... He's obviously worth way more than five point nine in this in this market. He's worth way more than five point nine million dollars, and to get him on a one year deal, meaning that he's going to be playing for that next contract, that's a pretty great. I mean, look at Evan Turner. We mentioned him earlier, right? Like came on a minimum deal, and then he plays his way into a four year seventy plus contract from Portland. Like Dennis Schroeder's got something to play for. Um, so you add that factor. Um, I, mean, I like watching Hunter Gomez. Like, I'm not sure what he really does moving the needle wise, but like, you know, they 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 change some things around the edges that at least you know I think I think they're better than what they were as they exited the off season. How much better will remain to be seen, and how much better 
they can get under, you know, with good coaching from Ime Doka's new staff also remains to be seen. But I, I think they had a clear strategy and what they did makes sense. And yeah, they, they, they maintain flexibility, you know, moving forward in general. And that's, that's a big key, I think, overall to be able to have the flexibility, even if it's not Bradley Beal, you know, if it's anybody, any trade, whatever that comes to mind, like Toronto Raptors, for example, never thought they were going to land Ka- Kawhi Leonard, you know, but they get in the position and they do. So I think just maintain that flexibility to be able to make moves in general is just a strong strategy. Yeah. I, I love the off season. Jack and I have discussed it. I think they did not make a big splash. You're absolutely right. But the, the big win is, like you said, they didn't have flexibility and they made moves for fit. And that's really the most important port. Jeez. Let's speak here. Important thing. Um, with the Celtics, I think it's always been fit. I think that's why you've seen them be able to go on some conference finals runs because of the way guys fit. I mean, the 2018 run in particular, you were able to do it with two of your best players out. Horford obviously fits well with Tatum and Brown. He's always had a really good chemistry with Smart. I'm always, always happy to see Alan Green. Um, and I, I think with the Beal thing, I've seen a few things saying the Richardson extension and Horford's contract would make a sign and trade work. So would that be a way he could get that extra 54 million if he was to go to the Celtics? Technically, yes. Um, sign and trade would allow it to happen, but you know, a sign and trade is complicated and of course. it happened a lot this summer to make it seem more. And I, I, I kind of previewed that at Bleach Report like a month or two before we agency to talking about how this was going to be the summer of sign and trade. But I think that's, partially because a lot of teams – there are only a couple of teams with cap space this year, and there's going to be less next year too. So I, I would still expect there to be a lot of sign trade activity next summer being that. I think it's only two or three teams at this point that are presently uh, expected to have cap space. So that, that allows Chicago, who didn't have space, to go get Lonzo and go get DeMar DeRozan and make all these other moves too. Um, but that involves the agent being in, on the same page, that player signing, like in the deal – both two teams liking the package and negotiating. I mean, Larry Markin and sign and trade to get to Cleveland took, you know, three months. So it's not necessarily just an easy thing to happen, but it could. It certainly could. We're all about hope in Boston. We, we got to keep the hope high for Bradley Beal. <laughs> That's the goal. Um, Sam mentioned his name, so I wanted to shift gears here. Uh, on our last episode, we were talking about expectations for each of the Celtics players. Um, brought up Marcus Smart, obviously just got a, a massive extension. Some liked it, some not. My ideal number was around 18. I think it ended up being 19 or so, which I, I'm not going to complain about. Um, Sam loves Marcus Smart. I, I like him too, but Sam, Sam is a noted Marcus Smart guy and came out of the gate saying Marcus Smart could be an all-star this year. And I just, I just wanted your initial reaction to that statement. Just tell, just agree came with me. That's crazy, right? I, I overturned the call. I did. So... I will say that <laughs> a good friend from college who huge Celtics fan, and we made a bet, $100 bet, six years ago, seven years ago, that Marcus Smart would never be an all-star. I'm not worried. I, he thinks he would be. <laughs> I'm not worried about my bet. <laughs> all right, all right. I think the reasoning was Marcus Smart's going to get the reins as a starting point yeah. guard this year. That's what all the rumors are saying. If he can put up, you know, say, what'd you say, 15 and 10 was your hope? Yeah, I, threw a, I think I said 8 to 10. So I, 
And you agreed with eight. You you agreed with eight. I think eight could yeah. be a, a high end goal for Marcus Martin in terms of assists. I settled you know, on. I think he passing. has a shot to be most improved, given the extra responsibility he'll get in a different category. That's not scoring, because obviously you don't want him to really be trying to score. But as a distributor, I think mm-hmm. he does really well. What do you think is of Marcus Smart as the point guard this year in Boston? You think it's going to go well, or do you think it's going to flop? Um, you know, I'm curious based off of. I wonder what that dynamic is going to be with him and the Jays, right? Like they do a lot of on-ball creativity. Um, and he, in in that sense, like he's probably good, like a good fit in that regard, right? Like not someone who who is a floor general, run the ball, whatever. He's more of a combo guard, let's say. Um, but I also think there's an opportunity for Dennis Schroeder to take that starting spot at a certain point, right? Like, I don't think Marcus Smart is set in stone as the point guard, but in general, he's always been someone that Brad loved and has been uh, um, just a strong presence. Uh, he's been a backbone of that rebuild for a while, so I don't think it's anything too drastic. He's been a spot starter for years. I think it just is what it is. Yeah, he's, he's had to take on the starting role in the past couple of years. It, it's kind of shifted the thought process in Boston. It's like Marcus Smart is the ideal six man, and now he's just in every starting lineup across the board. So it's kind of interesting to see how that has worked out. But um, I, I wanted to, you know, you, you said you got to get going here soon. So I did want to ask you a couple more things really quick. Uh, yeah. Just kind of about the, the general landscape of the NBA, right? It seems like, obviously, Brooklyn, Los Angeles Lakers, that's quote-unquote everyone saying that's set in stone. That's going to be the finals. Is that your thought process too, or do you think there's any teams that are going to come out and challenge these two uh, behemoths, I suppose you could call them? I mean, that's certainly what everyone's thinking right now, but Mm -hmm. I I think a big lesson I learned in the book in terms of people asking me, like, was the process worth it, blah, 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 and you look at the the nets of last year, like, there's so many unseen variables and things um that pop up that that are unexpected injuries you know player infighting whatever nothing's guaranteed and it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of luck and a lot of circumstance and happenstance to help you get there so i i would never just pencil it in but then again like Cavs warriors happened four straight years so maybe maybe we're just destined for this clash (laughs) gotta get phoenix there to do i mean milwaukee did what milwaukee did Mm -hmm. um you know who knows what philly can can re, how re, re, they can remake their, their roster and like right now as good as the Nets are they got nobody who can guard Joel Embiid and Philly right now doesn't really have anybody to guard all three of their guys but it's still it's not <laughs> it's not like a shut and door scenario I think in, in the right circumstance mm-hmm. in the right you know optimization of what Philly can be so yeah, I think, I mean, you talk to anybody in the NBA, they're fully expecting that to be the most likely outcome, but anything can happen. Sure hope not. Worst case <laughs> for Celtics fans. That would be brutal. That that would definitely be brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's all I had, you know, written down here today. I know you said, like I said, you got to get going, but uh, is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap this up? Tell everyone where they can get Bill to lose one more time before we get out of here. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm coming out. I, I'm kind of on a little vacation uh, hiatus from Bleach Report until the week of training camp opens up. But after that, I'll be back writing pretty much a story a week until August of next year. <laughs> um, and uh, 
It's bringing rumors and news reporting, uh, stuff I'm hearing out from the ether to the light. Um, and yeah, the book is out. It's been out since May. It's done pretty well. And if you're if you're an NBA fan, if you're on NBA Twitter, if you like talking about who won the deal or it's draft scouting Twitter, or whatever, <laughs> like there's something for every diehard fan in this book that you're not going to find anywhere else. And it's on Amazon, Bookshop.org, Barnes and Noble, my publisher Triumph Books, anywhere. And if you buy it. Uh, it helps me get the next one in the works too, which is definitely something I'm trying to do in the very near future here. So that's my plea and my pitch. And, uh, <laughs> thank you guys for having me on to to have the platform to talk about it. Of course, yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I'm super excited uh, to read the book. I just ordered it before we started here. So uh, yeah, thank you guys all for listening. Thank you, Jake, once again for joining us today. Uh, you guys can follow us at Bannertown USA on Twitter. And for usual, Sam, go ahead and wrap us up. Yeah, make sure you give Jake a follow and get Built to Lose. It does sound like an interesting book. I did not know coming in. Jack did, and I, I'm sold. I'm going to have to go and pick it up, to be honest <laughs> with you. I love insider yeah. stuff. I love hearing about how things work behind the scenes. It sounds like a great read. It, tell all your friends to buy it, too. <laughs> we will. I'll make sure to do that. You can follow Jack at JackSimoneNBA. You can follow Bannertown at BannertownUSA. You can follow me at Sam LaFranceNBA. That's our show for today. See you later. <laughs>